Welcome to the Marxist Think Tank podcast, an attempt to look at the world from a class-conscious perspective and to build. I think one of the, the things that really separates us from the high primates is that uh, we're tool builders. And I read a, uh, a study that measured the efficiency of locomotion for various species on the planet. The condor used the least energy to move a kilometer. And uh, humans came in uh, with a rather unimpressive showing about a third of the way down the list. It was not, not uh, too proud of a showing for the crown of creation. So uh, that didn't look so good. But then somebody at Scientific American had the insight to test the efficiency of locomotion for a man on a bicycle. And a man on a bicycle, or a human on a bicycle, blew the condor away, completely off the top of the charts. And that's what a computer is to me. Uh, what a computer is to me is, it's the most remarkable tool that we've ever come up with. And it's the equivalent of a bicycle for our minds. No, seriously, I'm legit. I'm actually really interested in uh, the uh, the uh, that whole uh, the Indian caste system coming over to the, the, the <laughs> Bay is, Area. It is bizarre. Yeah. So and also, actually, I've never thought about it because, like those those things. I mean, for, I mean, there's a Google. Actually, there's a Microsoft and a Google campus in. in I'm in Beijing, and there's actually um, one here. But it's very much integrated into the city. Like it's you know the city is the capital. You know, it's a big city. It's got a working class, but they 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 they, they regulate things here in a certain way. You know, and um uh. But I don't know. I can't. I don't know what it's like. The whole dynamic with those those institutions, like Facebook and Google and and Microsoft, are countries. You know, they are. They are. They're the spending power, the workforce, and the footprint of a, of a country. And like they are sitting with their headquarters in the U.S. in a and they're sort of almost like they're like you know like their building is going to be some sort of like I don't know with its own gravity. Mm. Uh, but it's like sitting in a city that has homeless people and and is a and it's a real place. So, oh yeah, I've never thought about the dynamics of how that affects the so, the this place. Because like, because I know that Oxford University has this dynamic too. So like, Oxford mm. University has such has got its own gravity, and it's in the town of Oxford. Mm. But the town and the university are in like complete contradiction with each other. They're in mm. constant battle with each other. Mm. So like, there's people that go to the university and they want to get housing and they want to get jobs, and then so the housing market is affected by that. And then you've got the people that live in the town who are just like, you know, they work in the supermarket and whatever, and they're just poor white working class people. And they just uh, have, have these battles with these, this, this, this institution that's just got its own gravity and its own world. Yeah. Yale, Oxford, all their parasitic entities. Uh, <laughs> like, I'm not kidding you. That's not even a joke, but also, so let me give you a little, I'm a grifter. I need you to understand that about me, I, okay. <laughs> but I'm a reverse grifter. I'm grifting the rich. Uh, what I mean by that is I have worked for Google. I've worked for Facebook. I've worked for Uber. I've worked for WeWork. I've worked for all of these companies in various different capacities, purely online. I have zero, I've never been to school. I dropped out of high school, like my junior year and never looked back. 
and I just Steve Jobs it the entire way. And I talked about things like uh, pivoting marketing strategies in an ever changing world. And right, like uh, I talk about how I talk about you know maybe our 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 MSN isn't or isn't ever going to reach people because our CRMs don't, aren't high enough, right? Like I I I talk the talk and I make the I make the point of the language. But what they don't realize is that I grew up in the Bay Area. And I grew up in Sunnyvale, which is the heart. If you want to do some research on that one, Sunnyvale is the heart and soul of the Silicon Valley. It's where it comes from. Um, the first Google campus was in Sunnyvale. Uh, my, like, I grew up working at the cherry orchard in Sunnyvale because it used to be, it's a hick town. It's a fucking hick town. Literally uh-huh. farmers. When I was growing up, I used to have to pick cherries with the, uh, with the migrant workers in the campos because that was the only job I could have. I was like 11 or 12 and they don't, they don't bother asking you how old you are. They just let you pick cherries and they pay you uh, three cents a pound at the end of the day. And you know, for a kid, that's like, maybe if you're real strong, if you're a strong kid like me, that's like a hundred to $120 a day, which isn't bad. But if you're, yeah, but if you're an adult and you're making a hundred dollars a day, right. Or like, you know, a hundred dollars a day and you got to feed your family at three or four and you also got to pay rent. That's fucking unconscionable, right? Three cents a pound you're getting paid. And then they go around and they turn, they turn a profit of about four to $5 a pound on those cherries and they sell them as organic with a markup on, right? And like, I grew up in the heart of that. And I saw a lot of that, and that exploitation. And when I first got my introduction into the outside of that, into like the actual real world, of, I started at Uber, started out at Uber, worked my way into Facebook, worked my way. I, I did all of these things from a contractor, like not just contractor, but like as a service member, I worked in service with these guys. So like you start out as a janitor. Then you work your way into the cafe area and then you become a cafe manager. And then once you're a cafe manager, I mean, this is my, how I did it. Uh, Once you're a cafe manager, you work um, as a catering coordinator. Then as a catering coordinator, you work as an event coordinator. Then from an event coordinator, you work as a, as a executive, um, executive assistant. Then from an executive assistant into a facilities assistant, then from a facilities assistant to a facilities, uh, facilities manager, then from a facilities manager into a head of uh, real estate, then from a head of real estate into where my current role is now, what I do is I am chief marketing strategist, right? So almost I'm like two steps away from being an executive and I did it all through fucking lying. Like literally I've, I've made my way into, you know, the height of Silicon Valley, I guess, you know, the top and I did it purely just by lying to people and this shit hurts. Mm. It doesn't feel good. It feels bad. It sucks. I struggle Mm. with it all the goddamn time. Um, Mm. I just am able to speak the language and talk like they talk, but I'm not actually, I I don't have the pedigree that these people have. A lot of the people Mm. that I work with are Ivy league. A lot of the people that I work with uh, are global elite. They got the job the same way I did. They just went a way different way to do it. I, I got the job by knowing the right people and charming the right people. They got the mm. job because their dad knows the right guy, right? Like it's, mm. or so, and I mean, like the Silicon Valley is not any different than the, the hyper-financialization of Wall Street. In fact, I would say it's worse because mm. in Wall Street, there are some, you know, legal need. You have to be certified in very specific things to have the job that you have. 
That is not the case in the Bay Area. They gave me the, they gave me these jobs based solely on the fact that they liked me through nepotism. I rose, right? Mm. And like that that shit is troubling, right? Because if I was any less of a man, I'd be a fucking monster. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I it it keeps me up at night. It keeps me up at night knowing that I I just am one of the lucky ones that have was able to make the jump and mm. the. Mm pure it's like the class structure in the silicon valley is very much economic but it's also very racialized it's a very racialized yeah. wait hold on wait, i don't know if we want to go over it right now because uh i genuinely would like to like oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. okay wait, yeah. Wait, 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 i suppose we'll give it an introduction so this is yeah this is just an on the fly episode so um i guess we'll introduce it to like um uh so yeah so marcus we speak to you again about Silicon Valley and the dynamics of Silicon Valley itself with obviously you've got Facebook, you've got Google, you've got all the big tech industry there. Everyone everyone knows the term Silicon Valley, but um, you, you're obviously from the area and yeah, we just wanted to hear and let you describe what it's like there in terms of the impact that those companies have and the impact on the, the ordinary people there, what life is like. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So yeah, I... I am from the Silicon Valley and ultimately the Silicon Valley is an incredibly uh, high, like class, like financial class hierarchy place. It's very like there's a, there's definite like working class and then there's an underclass, a permanent underclass that exists like underneath the working class. And then there is like a, there's a, there's kind of a very small, very thin uh, middle class. And then there's just, an absolutely astronomical, insanely rich, like upper class that, that cannot be caught up with. And not only is there a class distinction amongst these people based like locationally, like where they're from actually in the Bay area, but there is a racialized distinction between these people as well. And what I mean by that is that there, because the Bay area is an incredibly diverse area. Um, so just, just, just for one thing, cause um. Uh, you might be aware of it. I might be aware of it, but some people actually might not know this. But Silicon Valley is in San Francisco, correct? No, so it's it's the entire the Silicon Valley actually is San Jose. It's it's, it's San, San Jose, Jose to Sil to Sunnyvale, uh, San Jose, Sunnyvale, Mountain View, uh, some parts of Los Altos, but not really. Um, mm -hmm. Palo Alto, Palo Alto is actually really like where everything is at. Um, Palo Alto, East Palo Alto, Menlo Park, which is more the peninsula. So the Bay Area is kind of a strange place because the Bay Area has like really very distinct pocket uh, areas within it, but it constantly gets called. San Francisco is actually not part of the Silicon Valley, but the big like the big, big tech companies, the unicorn tech companies, they all base themselves out of San Francisco. And they do that purely for two reasons. One, it's a great way to launder money because it's a speculative market, right? They can buy a gigantic fucking huge uh, office building uh, and know that their investment is safe because it's always going to, it's going to keep going up and up and up and up and up. So mm -hmm. there, and a lot, like there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of like Chinese and um, for like Saudi Arabian uh, foreign interest that are buying up property in San Francisco to continue raising the value. And actually no one lives in these places. So they're completely empty. They're, they're bought out, uh, they're renovated extensively and then left empty. 
and they Sound do like New York. Yeah, yeah, New York. Yeah, New York is a huge scheme like, to do that as well too. Um, and then companies like WeWork actually buy these WeWork or Airbnbs, like companies. Airbnb doesn't buy them, but Airbnb facilitates the buying of them and, and like the further laundering of money. Cause what people are doing, and this is a real thing, people will buy Airbnbs that like are incredibly, they'll buy houses that they don't actually own, or they'll rent out these, these apartments and say that they own them and then sublet through Airbnb, which they allow you to do that on, on their platform, which they should not, they absolutely should not be allowed to do. And then they pay their rent based entirely on other people like renting those spaces out. And mm. so how they actually turn a profit is they have multiple buildings that they just get their credit well enough and they, they just know the right people and they take out loans and they buy tons of tons and tons of like ridiculously expensive uh, real estate and then use Airbnb mm-hmm. to sell all of that real to like try and make their money back and sublet. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, so, so, so there's, uh, I think, um, Okay, so, so so this is Airbnb, basically using it, yeah, facilitating and you say money laundering. Yeah, but exactly. I, I, I know that that uh, San Francisco's got a large homeless population. Is that right? An incredibly large, and it's not just in San Francisco. It's actually the entire Bay Area has a very large homeless population, but the Bay Area is like outside of San Francisco is very good at hiding it. Um, for instance, one of the things that Sunnyvale does, which is the town that I grew up in, Sunnyvale has one of the lowest crime rates in America. It is one of the lowest crime rates and one of the lowest homeless population rates in America. And do you know why that is? It's not because uh, <laughs> it's not because crime doesn't happen there. It's because when crimes happen, they report them as be- having happened in San Jose, which is a neighboring uh, city, right? They will say, okay. yeah, and San Jose is already kind of a shithole. I live in San Jose, so don't beat me up, San Jose. But uh, I, uh, hmm. San Jose is kind of a, it's kind of a shithole. It's, it's, but that's a lot of it, why it's a shithole. It has nothing to do with the people who live here, but it has way more to do with the fact that it is fucking nearly impossible to live here without some form of just extreme exploitation. Um, so you have a lot of old families that have now, you know, when housing was reasonable in the 60s or 70s, have turned their homes, which were not meant to be generational homes, into generational homes. So you have generations of four or five, even six or seven generations of people living in a home on top of each other, right? Like maybe I, the house that I grew up in uh, housed nine people. It is a three-bedroom house. It is a three-bedroom house that housed nine people. I mm. like that's, and that's incredibly common. And Getting back to what I was trying to get back to say in the very beginning, it's, it's racialized, right? I am Latino American. I'm Chicano. I'm Mexican American. Uh, I am from the Bay Area and I'm from Sunnyvale, which is a weirdly Latino area in that there is a huge divisive line between the white population and the Latino population. And then in the 80s and 90s, the Indian population, and that's Indian from uh Eastern East Asian. I'm not sure if you want to say East Asian or Indian. I'm, I'm not sure what the proper term is, but I know that it, you, they're mostly from India. There's a few Bangladeshi uh, mm-hmm. like families that live out there as well too, like pretty established ones. But for the most part, it's incredibly racialized in the sense that um, there are two types of Latinos that live in Sunnyvale. There are Latinos that have lived there, Chicanos, they've lived there 
they're multi-generations. They live in these multi-generational homes. They're stacked on top of each other. Very small. Some of them are kind of big, but not, they don't allow for as many people as they should to be living in there. Mm-hmm. Um, then the other kind of Latino is actually Im- an immigrant Latino. And there's a lot of like uh, Mexican or Mexican immigrants. There is a lot of uh, El Salvadorian, Ecuadorian, Honduran, uh, Nicaraguan, um, Colombian. There's a lot of like all kinds of different uh, Guatemalan is, a, is actually a really a big one. Um, big Guatemalan community. They all live in Sunnyvale as well, too. But they live in apartments. And they live in like, like uh, what is it? Mul- uh, is it multiple single occupancy rooms, single occupancy mm. boarding, right? So that means that they live in an apartment where they rent a room, and someone else's name, usually like a, yeah, usually someone that's profiting, collecting, like someone with actual good credit, or subletting it. Yeah, it's subletting it under their name, and they're they're mm. charging rent by like the week. Actually, that's a thing that happens out here too. Um, and Sunnyvale, that isn't even, it happens all over Mountain View. It happens. And at first it's always kind of been this way, but recently after the 2008 market crash, not only are you finding, uh, Latino, like Latino immigrants, uh, or even Hmong immigrants, like Vietnamese, there's some Vietnamese out here. There is some Laotian. There are all, there's a huge, like huge population of mm-hmm. all kinds of different but you, what you're finding is that they can't find, they're now having to compete with uh, engineers, like like I was talking earlier, uh, engineers from, that, uh, from these guys are either not, they're not paid very well, which is surprising because a lot of people think that, oh, you're an engineer, you make fucking tons of money. Not all of the big tech companies out there are actually established big tech companies, meaning that they don't have this like unlimited venture capital to just go into a grab bag and pull things out. In fact, um, there's a lot of like companies that exist purely as a cottage industry to serve the much larger Googles and uh, Facebook's campuses. And, and like for what a one instance of a cottage industry that has uh, developed around it is like a catering industry. Um, a lot of working class people in the catering industry. I worked in the catering industry. Um, what that essentially means is uh, Google, Facebook, uh, a lot of these really big corporations uh, in a, as in a means to control both the productivity of their employees, meaning they don't want their employees leaving for an hour or two to go get lunch. They've, decided to provide lunches for their employees. But also this is, this is a legitimate money laundering scheme. Uh, they are spending inordinate, stupid, crazy amounts of money on this. And the government has actually came down on them and said, Hey, if you're going to be spending this kind of money, then it's, it's an employee benefit. It has to be taxed as an employee benefit. And so the way around that is they are saying that it is not an employee benefit. And that they are they are actually just subsidizing for the employees when they're actually not subsidizing whatsoever. Right. And what ends up happening is one of two things happens. One, they'll subsidize for they'll say that they'll they're paying a subsidy price, even though they're not. Or they'll legitimately take out of the paycheck of their employees, not the taxes, but the actual cost. Right. Meaning Mm. that they'll pay their employees less. Right. Mm. So they'll they'll pay them. Yeah. And the thing is, is that. Out here, a free meal goes a very long way, right? 
if you live in a single occupancy home and you know you're an engineer you're making your way out here you just got hired your first year at a small writing company that google uses to make sure that you can you know that their software works or like a debugging mm-hmm. right like mm-hmm. a, some kind of qa team because google's huge they need a big qa team and they don't want to hire internally and it's your first year and yeah you- but i just want to clarify something there so so obviously google and the the big corporations do have a large pool of like uh, conventional like normal uh, salaried staff but you're saying that they do also have a big uh, no they draw, draw they draw from a larger a bigger pool of cottage industry sort of yeah. freelancers and smaller companies that yes sort of, uh, contractors specific contractors contract basically yes. some right? subcontractors sub- sub- so they're they're even i was a subcontractor which is like literally it's hell and what that is is you work you work for a company that works for another company that works for google right Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. whatever rights you have as a worker are gone uh i routinely worked 18 16 hour days and when i would report it to the labor board say hey i didn't get paid for these hours they would say okay we'll reach out to the company and the company would say, Hey, well, we actually reached out to the company that contracted us to see what they said. And they said, well, we reached out to Google and Google said, well, we didn't actually ask them to do anything. Right. So <laughs> do you see like, well, so, you know, yeah, they have to but uh, these are like ecosystems that are run by these large companies. So when you're trying to like bite the hand that feeds here at the smaller end, uh, you're kind of just running into the same people at the other end that control, you know, city hall and all these, all these things, the government a little bit. That's the way I would see it. I mean, you know, I see Microsoft so you're, you're, out here. You're, yeah, you're not too far <laughs> off from that. Um, a lot of the times you get the runaround based purely from like a uh, bureaucratic kind of, well, it's not our fault. Or, or, mm-hmm. you, or you find yourself you find fighting, what um, are those guys, uh, like Google, who has an army or a team of lawyers and you don't. And they can stretch this shit out. They can stretch out the proceedings of this trial for the next 60 years and you'll die of cancer before that happens. Right. You'll die because you're poor. You have no money. You can't make rent because you can't work because you have yeah. to show up. Right. Like, and that's they, they're more than happy to do that. They are more than happy. That's to have that true. Happen. Uh, the thing happening out here with, uh, you know, Amazon and so on, their socialist socialist city councilwoman. Um, it's kind of like they're trying to get they're paying people to like replace her. And she's the one who's representing people like people you're talking about, sub subcontracted people. <laughs> and so you're. You're gonna go. You're gonna go run into the same people that are funding the cities. Yeah, it's the same. Yeah, it's a very similar, uh, very similar area. And like, there is a lot of libertarian ideology because of that out here. Mm. Um, I find myself constantly unable to radicalize, not radicalize, but to organize. Uh, some of the kitchens I worked in, I tried and I would make attempts and I would get fired immediately and then just be blacklisted and not be able to work in that industry for a while. So I'd have to take a job changing tires or something. But um, I found myself legitimately fighting people that didn't want to be, that didn't want to unionize because in their minds, well, at some point I'm going to own Google (laughs) at some, at some point I'm going to be one of the, because you said earlier that Google has a large staff. They actually don't very small staff. Right. I would say that for every one Googler, like actual real Googler or even Facebook employee, one for every one real Facebook employee or real Google or real Uber employee, there are probably maybe 40 or 50 contractors. Right. And that is that that is the nature of the game out here. The people who get those jobs, 
the people who get like these, it, they didn't get those jobs because they were the most qualified and they were plucked from the pool. Although that does happen sometimes. And I think that's mostly just to kind of appease the, to keep the dream alive among the con the contractors that, Hey, you can get picked up too and promoted because that's a big thing. Like you would not believe how Machiavellian contracting life is because you are encouraged to stab your, your employee, your, your coworkers in the back. You are encouraged to do all this awful shit because you could someday, one day become one of the real deal employees. And with that comes the benefits of never having to pay for a meal again, uh, full, full health benefits, uh, access to, to loans and banking that you normally are not have access to, uh, getting paid out in shares, getting dividends on, you know, like very small profits. Like there's a lot of like legitimate things that like socialism does exist in the Bay area, but it exists for the select few employees of major like unicorn companies. For the most mm. part, everyone's starving. Everyone is, is, is trying to kill each other to get those coveted positions. And getting back mm. to like what I was saying earlier, it's, it's incredibly racialized. It is incredibly racialized. Um, if you look at, if you look at these companies now, if you look at Facebook or you look at uh, like like uh, Snapchat, Facebook, uh, Alios Biopharma, which isn't necessarily a tech company, but it's a big one out here. Uh, if you look at like, um, I don't know, uh, Indeed, if you look at any of these, if you look at their board of directors and you look at the people who are running their companies, mostly white Anglo-Saxon Americans, right? Mm-hmm. And I know that the, the like amongst Marxists, like the there's a big push away from like id poll in the sense of like there is no radical or there is no real like if you solve if you solve like a class interest no this is legitimate though this, yeah. this so, is legitimate i mean it yeah. does go along with these lines for yeah, sure but I know that it was like a, a microsoft campus it was a white and then a yeah. little bit of asian no no yeah. it's, it's a true statement yeah yeah it's, well what i'm getting at is that it's the erasure of it is is very easy to do like amongst marxists especially if you're outside of this area where you kind of are up against it all the time. Um, Mm -hmm. What what I'm finding is that there is truth that in America uh, class, your, your status as a class, like of what class you are from is inherently tied to what race you are directly. Um, What I, when I was talking about the permanent underclass, the permanent Mm -hmm. underclass is African-American people in the Bay area. And they literally have redlined and centralized all of them into the East Bay which is incredibly like far more financially depressed than anything on uh, any, any area in the peninsula, any area in the South Bay, any area in the North Bay, any area in the, the greater San Francisco area, the East Bay is incredibly depressed. In fact, um, like Richmond, Richmond, I was explaining this to someone on, on my own personal podcast. Um, Richmond feels a lot like Detroit. In the sense that Detroit, Detroit's industry just straight up pulled out, went to Mexico, went to other uh, cities, and left the entire city to decay. Richmond, Mm. the entire government of Richmond has essentially sold all of like the major, the only place you can actually work that is profitable and where you can actually like make a living is Chevron, the oil processing plants out there. They, Mm. they pay, and by the way, they're polluting the shit out of the Bay, but that's another, Mm. yeah, that could be an entirely different episode, but, uh, they pay all of the governors 
or not all of it, they pay all of the city council to run. They pay all of the city council to continue keeping Chevron open. And Chevron recently has like cut a ton of jobs. And what's because they're 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 automating a lot of processes processes. Mm. They're actually making themselves a lot more efficient to go greener. And what they've actually done is they've done something like Detroit, but actually I think it's a little bit worse. Because whereas the industries in Detroit dried up and and left, this industry is sticking around and parasitically mm-hmm. drawing from the people of Richmond. And the people of Richmond have fucking nothing. They are there's literally they're getting nothing from this company. This company is not paying any taxes. This company is not even employing anyone from Richmond. This company is literally flying people in from other cities. And this like small like cottage industry of service, like Starbucks employees or uh, McDonald's employees or you know food service industry or delivery industry, like which or the gig economy that that springs up around these people to drive them to and from work. That is penny. It's like fractions of pennies. Of what? So, so it sounds like a it's a deeply unequal society. That's specifically the, the Bay Area, and of course, expanded to, to the, the East East Bay, like you're saying. This sounds like an extremely unequal society. So, I, I guess someone might say, "Well, are you seeing any signs of the the trickle down economics? Does it anything like that happen? Uh, yeah, or, or yeah, is it so completely just it, two? Those are two different worlds that don't it, touch each other it, at all. Of course, it does. Right. Every now and then, what ends up happening is they they pick a guy. Right. Like I'm, I'm one of the guys that they pick, they pick a guy and they bestow upon him the ability to become, you know, a poster boy for, look, the system works. This guy made it. This guy did it. He went out there. He was a go getter. He was smart. He was strong and he lifted himself up by his bootstraps and he's been rewarded with having a, a decent uh, life, right? You know what I'm saying? Black mirror, 15 million merits. Yeah, yes, yeah, right? And and what that does is it really does, if if you're not, if you're not class conscious, if because there is no real class conscious, there's a lot, actually, that's not true. There is a lot of active, like, uh, there's a lot of active leftist organizations in the Bay Area, but they're all very uh, divided and fractured. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that, like, Cointel Pro is incredibly fucking effective out here. Um, but, you know, that's another, once again, that's another episode. Uh, the idea is that the Bay Area is incredibly split up and we can't really organize in a normal sense because all of the industries are so deeply tied and connected to each other. Like, for instance, um, I got fired from Uber. I was an actual Uber employee and I got fired mm-hmm. from there. Uh, and when I got fired from there, it, it was a fucking big deal. Uh, I got fired by a very, very high up person. And I got blacklisted. And so I didn't think that that was a real thing that could happen. But I was at a interview at WeWork like maybe two years later. And I'm just sitting there. I'm in the middle of the interview, having a good time, doing my thing. And all of a sudden we get a ring on the conference room, little tablet thing. And it's from Adam Newman, the CEO of 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 uh of we work we work and he fucking called in i'm applying for like one of the lowest positions in the job he fucking called in and says hey do you remember tk at uber and i said yeah i remember him and he goes yeah he sends his regards get the fuck out of my out of my out of my business and i left that that fucking happened to me right uh that 
I and I, you know, like that I'm not even the worst one that that's happened to. There's people out there who have not worked in five, 10 years because they made a, an enemy in a high place. And mm-hmm. every literally because every single every every job like pulls from other they pull from you know it's a, it's a very small pool of people who, who live out here who can survive out here so they pull from that kind of they they use that there is no real there's a lot of groupthink mentality out here for that mm-hmm. and uh if you are part of the permanent underclass if you are an african-american if you are uh a latino american that is you know under privileged meaning that you you don't have the access to education or the access to the means to educate yourself or if you don't have the you know literally if you talk with an accent that's real if you if you have an accent you're not going to do well out here right Mm -hmm. if you have any kind of uh inability to uh articulate and speak their language speak their lingo Right. If you if you couldn't operate on a full stack, then get the fuck out of here. Thing you said about the accent really hit home because I that's very true. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. It, it's true. If you have an accent, or if you even a perceived accent, like there's such thing as a as a San Jose accent, right? There's a way to talk that sounds San Jose. Uh, I couldn't mm-hmm. describe it to you, sure. but if, if you if you heard it, you would recognize it. But mm-hmm. if you have that, if you have that sound of being from San Jose you're not getting the job, man. Yeah. It's not happening for you, right? You're not mm-hmm. going to be one of the guys. And that's, mm-hmm. it's unfortunate that that's like London breed actually is a great example of that. The mayor of San Francisco, London breed, uh, grew like was in one of the projects. It's the name up, of the mayor, London yeah. breed, London breed. Yeah. That's her name. I know that sounds like a fucking made up. Uh, it sounds like a space. It sounds like a, like, it sounds like a shitty drama, right? Like it doesn't even sound real. <laughs> London breed. Nice. London breed is one of the most evil human beings on the planet. But she she grew up, um, she grew up in the projects in San Francisco in Hunters Point. Which, by the way, I worked in Hunters Point. I had to get my this is probably TMI. I had to get my dick and balls checked to make sure that I w- was able to have kids because I worked there for six months because it's entirely fucking irradiated, and people live out there. Like every if you are this sorry. It's in it's in San Francisco. If you are black and you live in San Francisco and you can like you grew up out there, you grew up in Hunters Point. Chances are that was where you you live. Was Hunters and Point radiation? It's yeah. It's entire. It's incredibly irradiated, and it has everything. Uh, so that whole San Francisco actually used to be uh, a nuclear preparedness site. They actually used to like so in World War II. There's a bunch of armaments that were built out there, so the military used like housing or was housing like all of this. Uh, like like arms they were housing guns and stuff and in like post-world war ii when the cold war broke out and like they were they were really afraid of like russians like trying to nuke california right from from like flying a plane over from russia from you know from the east and just dropping a nuke they're really afraid of that so they stored nuclear they stored like some nuclear uh warheads I think I think that's where that comes from, but I know that it's irradiated, and that's they stored them in Hunters Point, and they didn't tell the people of Hunters Point that, and they red they redlined Hunters Point to make it a predominantly African American community, right? And I you would not believe I worked out there for like six months, and while I was working there, there would be people who I knew that had like were born and raised out there, they were dying of thirty six from like advanced you know leukemia that 
you know, or, or like a bone fucking like a like a, a bone cancer that only people from Vietnam get. Like it's crazy. Um literally very little reporting on that, by the way. Very it's very depressing. Mm. Um I I wish I could actually cite you some actual like reporters who've done reporting on that, but I honestly can't pull any from off the top of my head. Uh mm. but it's yeah, incredibly irradiated area. And London Breed knows this. And London Breed is from that area. She like was born and raised in Hunter's Point. She knows the fucking struggle of all this stuff, but she is a poster child. She's like, no, I made it. I made it out of the hood. And the fact that uh, the CEO, uh, not the CEO, but um, Salesforce, what is the who's the CEO of Salesforce? I can't remember his name, but he's evil. Uh, he he's like the fact that he's you know part of my city planning guy and the fact that he pays me out of pocket you know has nothing to do with like how i mark benioff mark benioff that's you know yeah mark benioff or the zuckerberg hospital or the fact that i allow these guys to build all these things in their names and and give them carte blanche to do what they want uh and Mm -hmm. while i do that i stay in power right like that's fucking she she presides over all this under literally one of the most devastating like in a middle of a pandemic with one of the most devastating homeless populations in America. And she's literally doing nothing for them. There are millions of, how, how bad is that? How bad is homelessness? In I, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm going to admit, I'm a pretty fucking tough level headed dude. I've seen a lot of shit and not a lot of stuff bothers me. But, um, a couple weeks ago, I had to go do something for work where I had to be out and hand deliver a letter. And part of that, meant that I had to go into San Francisco and I had to take a walk down 6th Street. 6th Street in San Francisco is a very bad, it's not a bad, it's not a bad neighborhood. I hate saying bad neighborhood, but there's no good word for it. But it's very economically depressed area of San Francisco. Uh, There was a lot of drug centers there. There was a lot of like methadone clinics there. There was a lot of like homeless shelters there. And most of them have closed their doors because most of them are essentially now considered non-essential businesses. So they don't even the, what little funding they did have now cut off. So I was walking down and I just see people stepping over homeless people, like, you know, people in many homeless people, hundreds, hundreds, just like so the entire street just has people pretty much sleeping sleeping on the floor, passed out, coughing, hacking, um, yeah, it's very. I went home and I cried. I like legitimately wept because it that shit is heartbreaking. Uh, none of these people are gonna make it. Maybe maybe two or three, but I doubt it. It's it's we're looking at. I'm not kidding you, and I don't want this to sound hyperbolic at all. And I know that I am a fucking. I do, you know, traffic and hyper hyperbolism. But I, I definitely think I'm. We're looking at a mass extinction of homeless of the homeless population. We're looking at legitimate like genocide, just a uh, oh. class, a class motivated yeah, genocide. Yeah, for sure. These people are all of that age. Yeah, and it's all of them are of the build and age to die of COVID for sure, and they don't have any medical treatment. Nobody took precautions to stop a lot of it in Seattle. Even we're supposed to be very liberal and <laughs> and uh, care about people out here as well. They just yeah. it's it, crazy. It's heartbreaking. It really is, and it is endemic to the larger narrative of what the bay area is because the bay area gets lauded as this and it is you have to understand i love the bay area i would never choose to live anywhere else i refuse to leave this place because this is my home i was born and i was raised here the bay area is my blood i feel 
comfortable nowhere else. I love the Bay, but mm-hmm. I love the Bay enough to criticize the Bay. I love the Bay enough to see to to say that the Bay is deeply sick. That the Bay is there's a deep there is a deep 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 ugliness in the Bay Area that mm-hmm. none of us no one can do anything about. It it's got to be either we all have to get together to do something about it. Or we have to really, really, really put pressure on the people above us. And I mean, like, I'm talking about, like, going to Nancy Pelosi's big ass house with all those refrigerators and just standing outside and being like, bitch, do something. Right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I, mm-hmm. like I'm being serious. Like, we need to dictate actions that do that kind of stuff. We need to find out where our representatives live and just mm-hmm. kind of show them, you know, pick up all the trash in the streets and just dump it on their lawns and say, hey. Mm-hmm. Fucking people live in this and it is your fault. It is not their fault. They have nowhere to go, right? There are millions of unsold rooms that hotels have that are just being, that are empty. They're completely empty and they could easily house people in the middle of a fucking pandemic. And in fact, beyond a pandemic, they should just be housing people and they should be subsidized by the Mm. local government. And it's, there's the money is there. Uber does not pay the taxes that it, that it, that it owes. Amazon does not pay the taxes that it owes. Facebook, mm. Google, any of these gigantically large campuses that have tons and tons of, of unused building space that could easily be turned but into... Go ahead. You're missing the point, though. London London Breed made it out, so, you know. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah. That's that, right. So. Yeah. If, I'm, <laughs> I'm a, if I'm one of the goodest, if I'm one of the goodest good boys, then I can, I can probably yeah, make yeah. it out, too. Yeah, that's that's I, yeah, you're, so, I forgot about all that. <laughs> okay, yeah. So I should ask go back on something. Um, obviously, w- w- you said the the people that do get jobs at the right, one of the big the big unicorn companies, as you call them, um, these people come from all across the world. They come from the U.S. predominantly. Like, what 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 kind of people are there so, that actually get those jobs? And and how do they interact with each other? And like and with you can't the city? you can't trust them. You can't trust where they, you can't trust their origin stories. Um, one of the guys, and I'm probably going to get in trouble. This is a non-actionable. Don't sue me for this one. But the CFO or the CTO of Uber is a Vietnamese immigrant from Vietnam. And the story behind that is that he was from Vietnam. He's an immigrant. Uh, he's the son of an, he's an immigrant. Uh, his parents came here and you know, he just made the right choices and he ended up knowing the right people to end up at, at Uber. Uh, not or no, like he worked really hard and th- the right people noticed him. And then now he works at Uber. There's a little political intrigue in that one. Uh, he actually might be part of the Vietnamese. The So in Vietnam in the 60s and or like, yeah, when when the war was going on right before the war, there was a huge. Uh, Chinese population, not huge, very small Chinese population in Vietnam that was fiscally dominant, meaning that they owned all of the shops and they were incredibly exploitative to the people of Vietnam. So part of the Vietnamese uh, liberation was actually uh, seizing those Chinese owned businesses and essentially kicking them out. Um, Mm -hmm. When Americans got there, got involved, um, Americans gave uh, refuge, refugee status to a lot of the Chinese immigrants, but there was a catch. They said 
that they had to be that on the paperwork they were Vietnamese. So on paper, these Chinese immigrants mm-hmm. are now Vietnamese immigrants, right? And a lot of them had their names changed to reflect that. Um, I legitimately believe uh, that he's one of the first wave of people that got out. So he and because his family was ta- he would talk about how his family owns a ton of like they own a ton of like uh, farms in China. Right. And they're and they they actually like did something with the logistics of the railroads out there. I actually don't know. Like, I can't Mm -hmm. verify any of that stuff. But I definitely think that if you have the if you have capital like that, you can easily buy your way into knowing the right people to get that kind of job. Does it make any sense? Mm, Yeah. Yeah. And so so, you know, the executive class in the Bay Area is. They're the Epstein's. <laughs> they're the uh, they're the Weinstein's. They're the monsters. They're these monstrous human beings that mm. essentially get away with awful crimes because they have the global capital to back it up. A lot of them are international, but if you try to do any kind of digging into their financial records, it's very obfuscated. There's a lot of like dead ends or things that don't make any sense or like political intrigue. You know what I'm saying? Um, mm-hmm. One of like. Okay. One of the marketing, I think one of one of the CMOs of like Uber, either Uber or Hampton Creek, one of those two was a fucking ex-Israeli Mossad guy, which that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But yeah, he was involved. He was like involved with Robert Maxwell, uh, who mm. who's Ghislaine Maxwell's father, who is Jeffrey Epstein's uh like can you know connected to jeffrey epstein but like you know i'm not i'm not saying they're connected at all but what i am saying is that like that world is deeply embedded in the uh executive level of these companies right mark zuckerberg for instance uh and so a lot of the companies there's a lot of companies in the bay area that also don't make any sense to be here like northrop grumman and lockheed martin which are defense agencies their their defense contract their defense contractors, there's a huge presence of them out here, right? Especially in the South Bay. And those guys, their, their kids went to school with these, with, with Mark Zuckerberg, with, uh, you know, with these, these, uh, with Steve Jobs, with Steve Wozniak, their kids, Mm -hmm. those guys who came out here and have been out here, you know, for the start of NASA, who, which is, you know, essentially a government agency, their Mm -hmm. kids, went to school with, you know, the, these future Titans of industry out here. And if you think that, you know, that's not related whatsoever, that these government contract, the kids of government contractors, uh, knowing, you know, future billionaires, not millionaires, billionaires and industry Titans mm. isn't a coincidence. then I don't know. I, that feels a little bit too much of a on the nose coincidence. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, beneath that though, there is a very, bourgeois upper middle class that is incredibly content a lot of them are libertarians they feel like of course i'm not going to be uh i'm not going to have i'm not going to be a billionaire but i definitely have a couple million in my bank and my life is stable so i'm not worried right and Mm. they don't realize how unstable their lives are they don't realize how precarious just as precarious as the rest of us then there's an actual middle class a lot of the middle class out here is uh like high-end service or admin jobs these guys are they're 
kind of actually conservative they they call them uh yokels or locals out here uh, a lot of them are just like local people that you know ended up as secretaries they've been working for microsoft or they've been working for oracle for the past 25 years and they're very comfortable and they bought a home yep. in the 80s when it was cheap and they've just been able to hold on to it ever since that's kind of the middle class out here then you have the lower middle class which is definitely service and construction jobs uh, I did those. Um, those you don't really actually get a, any kind of dividends or pay. You don't get like any kind of comfort out of that. It's always kind of a paycheck to paycheck lifestyle. Uh, mm. Then you have the like economically depressed, uh, like working class, which is you know uh, a lot of older uh, people, people of color from the bay area they're like grocery store workers you would not believe how common i'd like go to a taco bell and the lady taking my order is like 63 years old and it's heartbreaking like i i can see the strain in her eyes like just just be standing on her feet all day it's awful um there's a class out here in seattle or in redmond um which is like you know 20 minutes north of where i'm at um of just like all, I don't know if they're Pakistani. Obviously, I'm just profiling by the way they look here. So sorry, but uh, Aki and Indian. And if you take like the 405 from like downtown Seattle, it's all Paki or Indian in there. And they all live in the same area. And uh, I wonder if it's just like they work for less. So it, it, the company likes to hire that those people in mass. Um, as they're on like a worker visa, like short leash, and they could just be paid, be exploited, basically. Mm-hmm. Do you have that class out there? Uh, yeah. So yes. Valley? So Able. Well, I'm probably gonna get fucking sued for this one too. <laughs> the Able Company, which is one of the largest contractors of janitors, uh, they're a union. But just because something is a union doesn't mean that it's a good union. Same with the mm. uh, like the police union, right? Um, so. They tend to hire lots and lots and lots of immigrants under the guise of giving these immigrants uh, access to a stable job with state like, a, you know, decent pay and like a fair shake at getting benefits. But what it actually turns out is that they can actually really undercut the pay of immigrants because immigrants cannot union. They cannot collectivize to like argue for a better like better pay essentially because there's always a threat that if you guys do use your union to uh leverage better pay we'll just fucking deport you right and they they will they have right in the past they've done that they've done mass deportations they've called mm. ice raids to places to do that kind of thing um it's very tragic well, uh packies uh, the Pakis and Indians I'm talking about though these guys are engineers they're pro uh, software engineers and programmers and stuff so I'm like there's like a, a, a tier of programmer and engineer that's like, like I, oh. I don't know. I assume so they're being paid that's, less. We we have a similar thing out here, but it's it's different. It's so like I was saying, there is an Indian case society that existed, like of immigrants of Indian immigrants that exist, but it's it's represented out here financially and fiscally, right? And so like, uh, lower middle class, uh. Indian immigrant families tend to own retail shops. So that's like, you know, the stereotype of like 7-Elevens and stuff. That's, I mean, it's a stereotype, but it's also a very valid one. They do tend to own them out here. Um, 
the also own like franchises they own like subways they own like uh any kind of franchise right and that's usually lower middle they're like they're from a middle caste in india but then you have engineers that are easily making 200 300 400 thousand dollars they're an incredibly fucking or a year they're incredibly high paying roles um and they they're from a much higher case system in india and i I'm assuming what happens is the if you have the ability to have a higher case, you probably have the money in India, the financial backing in India to be able to move and mm-hmm. meet meet people that run these companies, like like to internationalize essentially. And then now your kids are now part of this internationalization. So your kids are now going to be engineers or they're going to have these high paying. So now that they're in America and living in America, with you, if you decide to move to America, if you have the capital to move to America, then, you know, you will, because you've made, you've made the pre, the previous jump, you've, you've met the, the right people in the right industries, you can continue propagating that lifestyle. And I, and I'm assuming the same thing with like the middle class, but there are no like working class Indian families that I know of, and I'm, I have a limited exposure out here, but that I am aware of in the Bay area. That's not to say that they don't exist, but I don't believe that there is like an untouchable cast that has a representation in the Bay area because they don't internationalize. They cannot. So all of the Indian sort of community people, sort of families you've seen, are the middle, uh, working, so you said, sort of explained they own retail or they work for the big corps and there's no, or they're doctors uh, or they, you know what I mean? Like the, it's high paying, Prestigious right. jobs. They're, these are, they're these are uh, Indian American families, though, right? Not Indian immigrant families, right? So they start as Indian immigrants, right? And yeah, then they, right. yeah, yeah. But but what I'm saying is that as their family progresses, depending on where they were from, it it has very little to do with work ethic. Is what I'm getting at. Does that make any okay. sense? It has a lot more to right. do with like with with it, with internationalized connections, mm-hmm. right? And I'm sure that there are a few that have worked their way up from being, you know, just son of an immigrant into becoming a doctor. Right. Or, but I, I guarantee you, none of them have become, have been son of the immigrant and now a CEO that has never happened. Right. Or at least not organically. That was something that has happened through, you know, knowing the right people, um, mm-hmm. through nepotism. Um, and that, like I said, there are no, there is no real working class. And then the permanent underclass in, uh, the Bay area is the African-American community. And I mean, like they're working the gig economy, right? They're not working regular jobs. They're not working the jobs. They're not even working like McDonald's and shit like that. We're working the gig economy where they get paid once a day and it's maybe $70 and it's maybe two hours of work or maybe, maybe not 70, not two hours, but maybe like 12 hours of work. Or maybe like, you know, 16 hours of work and they're getting paid $70, $80 at the end of and the day. And what percentage of the um, population would you say that is? Uh, very, very small percentage of the entire racial Bay Area makeup, but a huge percentage of the East Bay. Mm, okay. So okay. like the East Bay is incredibly racialized. It's incredibly redlined. There's a lot of uh, uh, African-American people that live in the East Bay, in the East Bay and they are working these these jobs, these, these gig economy jobs that are not paying them. There's literally zero benefits. There's 
stupid, crazy long hours. There's not even a guarantee that you'll get paid sometimes, right? There, that's something that happens very often. And, you know, in the gig, the way that the gig economy works out here is it isolates you from coworkers. You don't have coworkers. You work mm-hmm. by yourself. You are singular and you meet a point of contact and the point of contact tells you what to do. And that point of contact doesn't work for you or work with you. It works for an entirely different company. And if that point of contact is inappropriate with you in any way, which happens constantly, or if there is, if they just don't communicate something to you, the company you work for will not reach out to you. It is your responsibility to reach out to them. And then it is obfuscated how to reach out to them. It is incredibly obtuse it's made nearly impossible to reach out mm. to them. There are no numbers you can call. There's no contacts that you can, there's no emails you can send. There's nothing. And mm. like, there's a company called WeWork that is incredibly exploitative. Um, or not, not WeWork. Uh, Wufu, I think. I think that's what it's called. Or work, Workmate. Yeah, they're, they're all fucking, they're all the same company. They're, they're like 12 mm. different, they're 12 different ideas from the same parent company that's owned by like a big financial institution like Bain Capital or something like that, right? Because there is no real distinction between Wall Street and uh, the Silicon Valley. They're the same as far as I'm concerned, right? Their, their backing, their financial backing is the same. Uh, mm. it, it's all tied in with like, you know, oil prices and arm, arms deals, right? Like it's, it's, all, it's all tied in together. Um, mm. which is why like currently right now, I don't know if you guys are watching the markets at all, but, uh, the oil prices have gone negative in America. Mm. Uh, and that is catastrophic. I think for the Bay area, I, I fear for a lot of people's lives out here. Um, I think a lot of good people are going to lose their homes. I think a lot of good people are going to lose what little, shelter that they may have had uh one of the evil things out here that happens constantly is car repossession uh Mm. so people have they live in their cars right they're they've made their homes their cars because that's the final ditch right before you're homeless Mm -hmm. and then your car gets repossessed and it's because you you bought your car from a shoddy uh dealer that that approve the loan knowing you wouldn't be able to pay it back and then they resell it and then they they get double their profit and they write off the uh they write off the loss of they sell your they sell your debt for a a, pos, a net positive and then someone else is trying to get that debt from yeah, it's 2008 debt. but now they only can only take your car yeah pretty much they already right. your yeah all right I don't want to close it on a on a. We should probably end it over, but I don't want to close it on a bad note. I do want to say that there are a lot of really great leftist. Uh, there are a lot of really great leftist organizations in the Bay Area. I don't know any off the top of my head that I can just claim out that are that would like to be claimed out because that's kind of a sketchy thing. But I definitely yeah. know that they are. They they do exist, and we are making strides. And I would say that if you are in the Bay Area and you are listening. Um, you can always reach me on my podcast uh i'm incredibly online on twitter that's at ain't underscore show
And that is it for this episode of the Marxist Think Tank. Catch us every other week here on SoundCloud. To allow us for our reporting and our content to remain independent, please consider donating to our Patreon and becoming a voting member in the link down below in the description. If you have a news tip or would like to talk to us, please email admin at marxistthinktank.org. Our editor is Sean Sanchez. News writer and producer is Reggie Truman. And I'm Oscar Bastille. Thank you for listening.